Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church of Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, if you didn't bring your Bible, there should be one near you, and it's on page uh, 889. And just a reminder to you, we've got some uh, copies of uh, Larry Osborne's book, Thriving in Babylon, where we, with his permission, stole his title and changed his graphics around and got a couple of ideas from. And these books are on sale uh, right after service today. Last day, we're going to have them out there. Uh, they list for $15.99, and we're selling them for $18.99. So you just race out there and grab one. It's really a good book. They're 10 bucks each. We'd love to have you uh, grab one of those. Well, we're going to talk about miracles this morning. We're in the book of Daniel. We're in our last message in the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 6. And we're going to talk about first, talk about three kinds of, kinds of miracles here in Daniel chapter 6. And we're going to start off, and you have your message outline, you might, might want to follow along. We're going to start off with a minor miracle. And the minor, minor miracle is this, is that in Daniel chapter 6, we find a politician who is squeaky clean. I mean, he trumps. I mean, he is like head. Some of you get that at lunchtime. Uh, he is head and shoulders above every other politician. And that is a minor miracle, wouldn't you say? And uh, so we're going we're gonna to talk about this minor miracle, and then we're going to talk about the, the real miracle that's, that's, um, that's in this chapter. Now, let me bring you up to speed if this is the first Sunday you're with us. The book of Daniel. We picked the book of Daniel up in 605 B.C., and um, God has had it with his people Israel. His people Israel have turned their back on God. They flipped God off. They've swore at God. They said, God, we don't need you anymore. And God has had enough, and so he brings the, God brings the Babylonians, led by uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to, Babel, to Jerusalem they destroy the temple. They take the people of Israel captive. They carry the best and brightest, which includes Daniel, is, is exiles back to Babylon and educate Daniel and these other bright, bright young people in the ways of the Babylonians. And so Daniel, the book of Daniel, is the story of Daniel in Babylon, and he is thriving there. He's thriving for Jesus in Babylon. And what our whole series has been about is even when we live in Babylon, even when we live in a godless culture like Daniel did, like we do, we can still thrive for the Lord. And that's what Daniel is doing. And, and so 605 B.C., and Daniel um, is probably, um, he's called a youth in Daniel chapter 1, which probably means that he's under 20. So he's maybe 16 or 18 or 20 years old. And so he's taken to Babylon, and now you guys have aged in the last six weeks we've been together, because 65 years has now passed. And now we're in five, or, or thereabouts, we're in 539 B.C. And last Sunday, Pastor Derek um, took us into Nebuchadnezzar's great-great-grandson's palace in Babylon, and name is Belshazzar, and, and as Belshazzar is having this orgy, orgy this drunken feast, this big party, outside of the palace are the Medes and the Persians, and they're ready to pounce upon, and, and he's having this drunken brawl. It's kind of like it's his last deal, okay? 
And as they're having this big party, right, what happens? A hand shows up. I loved how Derek said, now just stop and think about that. You're at a party, and a hand shows up. And the hand starts writing in the wall. And it says, what, Wade, Wade, divided, or how did it go? Wade, Wade, uh, let me look at it here. No, numbered, numbered, weighed and divided. And that very night, chapter 5, the last verse, that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So Daniel has now been thriving in Babylon, which is now the Medo-Persian Empire. He's now, th- we've got to change the sermon su- t- title to thriving in Medo-Persia. But thriving in Babylon sounds a whole lot easier to say, so I may say that today. And 65 years have passed. So if he was 20 years old when he, Daniel began, he's now about 85 years old. And he's still thriving for Jesus. I like this. So let's take a look at Daniel chapter 1. We set the stage a little. It, chapter 1, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius, that's the new sheriff in town. This is the new wizard of Oz, the wizard of the Medo-Persian Empire. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. So when you hear satraps, think, I don't know, governors, think mayors, something like that. It, appointed, it, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. So he pro- probably gro- broke them down into groups of 40. And over each of these groups of 40 governors, he had a leader over them, a politician. Um, one of these administrators, verse 2, with th- he had three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set Daniel over the whole kingdom. Now, you got to get this. He is 85 years old. Daniel did not retire from thriving for God. And there's nowhere in Scripture that talks about retiring from thriving for God. And so if you're the little tiniest one in our nursery to the oldest one uh, that you know, God calls us to thrive for him. And, oh, it's no longer the Babylonian Empire. We can't use the title anymore. It doesn't matter where you are. He's in another godless culture now, the Medo-Persian culture. And he is thriving in godless Medo-Persia. Now, when you thrive... And you know this is true where you work or where you go to school or where you live. When you thrive, there's people who don't like you thriving, right? It's called jealousy because they want your job. They don't like it that you've climbed the ladder. And that's exactly what happens here to Daniel. At this, verse 4, what's the at this? When when the word comes down that Daniel is thriving so much in the Medo-Persian Empire that he's going to be lifted to be over the whole kingdom, only reporting to King Darius, At this, verse 4, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charging against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Here is a minor miracle, right? 
They can't find any emails that he wasn't supposed to write on a different, uh, uh, a different thing. And where, where was that uh, email account in Iowa or Ohio or something like that? Uh, they can't find anything on Daniel. They, they look and they search and they, they, they vet him and they try to find anything against Daniel they could bring up to bring a charge against him. They can't find anything. Now, is Daniel sinless? No. How do I know that? Because Daniel's breathing. And if you're breathing, you're broken. I'm breathing, I'm broken. If you're breathing, another way to say that is you're a sinner. If you're breathing, you're a sinner. You get to stop sinning at some point. When you stop breathing, you stop sinning. That's, that's when that, that happens, but not before. So Daniel's not sinless, but he just is really squeaky clean, amazingly, at a politician. So, what, 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 see, his, his, his enemies there among the governors and stuff, they're jealous. They want to throw him under the bus. So they say, well, what we got to do is find out something bad about him, and we can report it to the king, and then the king's going to fire him, and then one of us get his position. So they, they're looking. They're trying to think, what can, we, what can we say against him? We can't find anything against him. But they said, one of the guys said, the brightest crayon in the box says this. He says, you know what Daniel is consistent in? Following God. He always follows God. He always loves God. He always chooses God. He always looks to God over anything else. And I was thinking, how about in your life, if you ask people that know you and love you, or if I ask people in my life who know me and love me, what would they say about me? What's the most consistent thing in my life? Is it my love for God, or is it something else? And Daniel was known for his consistent following after God. So they said, maybe we can create a conflict between his love and his faithfulness and his allegiance to God and his allegiance to the king. Because if we could drive a wedge between Daniel and the king by using his allegiance to God, then maybe Daniel would fall and then we would get his job. These guys are pretty bright. Uh, here it is in verse, uh, verse uh, 5. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis to char- uh, for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So, these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. A little butter goes a long way, right? These guys don't like King Darius more than anyone else, but they want something from him, right? You got kids? Your kids know how to spread the butter better than anybody else in the universe. It's just amazing, isn't it? And my dad is here, and he is 87 years old, and I still use butter occasionally in my relationship with him, and it still works. That's the cool thing. Butter goes a long way, right? It does. So they're trying to come and butter. Now, th- there was four words there in the English, in, in my version of the Bible, in verse, in verse 6, that is tra- it's just one word in the original language. So these administrators, satraps, went as a group. Those four words translate one word in the original, and this word means 20 clowns trying to go through the same door at the same time. Can you picture that in your mind? Some of you are older than I am and remember a television show that I have no memory of whatsoever. It was called The Three Stooges. I've just seen the reruns on Netflix on my iPhone. I have no idea what it really looked like on a a black and white television set. 
But you remember how they would always, they'd try to go through a door at the same time? They would just all be bouncing off of each other. That's the picture times seven. So it's like 20 or 21. That's what this phrase means, is these people are bumping into each other. They're in such a hurry to get into the king that they turn into clowns. And so they go into the, into the king, verse 6, and, and they say, May King Darius, oh, we love you so much. That's a nice shirt you have on today, king. Where did you get that? I'd like to get one like that. King Darius, you are wonderful. Your hair, your hair just looks so nice today. Verse 7, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, all of us, your honor, have agreed that the king should issue an edict. Oh, and this edict is going to blow his ego up big time. They got the bike pump out, and they are going to pump his ego up. Oh, king, we think you should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, oh, your highest royal, highest reverend, honorable PhD king of ours. Now, you can imagine Darius hearing this. In the whole land... In all the universe, I'm the only one that people are going to be praying to for 30 days. Oh, I must be more important than I thought I was. This is awesome. So he's just really feeding into his ego. He's like God for 30 days. Now, the the Medo-Persian kings didn't claim to be God, but there's this opportunity now for him to pretend that he's God. Oh, your majesty, we, we want you to issue this decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, they shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians. The law of the Medes and Persians cannot be repealed. And so... King Darius put the decree in writing. Okay, so now you've seen the minor miracle, a squeaky clean politician, right? And King Darius has now issued this decree that if anyone prays to any god except to him, they will be thrown into the lion's den. Now, I want you to see the mammoth miracle. This is the second point in your message outline. I want you to see the ginormous, gargantuan miracle of this story. And some of you are saying, oh, are we going to go to the lion's den now? Well, I want to tell you, just like I told you two or three weeks ago when we studied Daniel 3, that the real miracle of this story happens before we get to the lion's den. The lion's den is another minor miracle, I believe. I think the real miracle of this chapter is what we're going to discover in the next verse, in verse 10. It is this gutsy, it is this brave, it is this lion-hearted prayer that Daniel prays to the God Most High through that second story open window in his house. This is the miracle. And the real lion's den in this story is not the one in the ground that has felines in it. The real lion's den is in Daniel's bedroom. And this is the miracle of the story, this prayer, this mammoth prayer. And we're going to hunker down. We're going to spend almost all the rest of our time in verse 10, and I'm going to free you to read the rest of the chapter when you go home. Verse 10. Now, 
when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he ran for the hills. Is that what it says in your Bible? Now, oh, 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 I'm sorry, wrong version. Now, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went and he prayed in front of Darius. No. What does he do? When Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Oh, now I just think about this story. I think about what if I were Daniel? And what if I was faced to this choice? And what if when I heard that this edict came down, that if anyone prays to anyone but to King Darius, he's going to be throwing in the, thrown in the lion's den. And at that very moment, I can hear in my ears the roaring, the, the growling of the stomachs of the lion in their den. And I think, what would I do? What would I choose? And I think... I'm afraid to say that I would be an American, and we Americans are very pragmatic, aren't we? And we're very self-important. And I would think things like this. Well, um, what I'll do is I'll just walk by Darius and I'll whisper a prayer. No one will see me, so it's no big deal, right? I'll just kind of fudge. I'll just kind of walk by Darius and just kind of say a silent prayer, so I'll obey him but no one will know that I've obeyed him. Um, or maybe, uh, maybe I would think, um, oh, oh, here's what I'll do. It's, it's only 30 days. I'll just stop praying for 30 days. That's what I'll do. I just won't pray for anyone. You see how we justify ourselves? God has said this, but I'm wrestling with an idol. And here's what the idol is. The idol that Daniel is wrestling with is the idol of his own future. All of us look forward to our future. We look forward to relationships. We look forward to work. We look forward to vacations. We look forward to our kids growing up. And what Daniel was wrestling with was this idol of his future that he may not have a future on earth. He's wrestling with the idol of um, his own safety and his own stability, and his own comfort. And I'm just, I want to expand this out to us today, that we are all faced with an, we are all faced with worshiping an idol that's something that's good, but that gets in the way of worshiping God. Sometimes our family can become our idol. And so maybe Daniel said something like, um, he didn't have a family, But maybe Daniel said, if he would have had a family, he might have said something like this. I I, I have to take care of my family. So if I I disobey the king and I pray to God, I'm going to be dead. And so who's going to take care of my family? You see that idol, the, the idol that family has come, that idol has gotten raised higher than God, that idol does. And, and God, and Daniel realizes this is a, this is a first commandment issue that he's wrestling with here, right? To have no other gods before God. God has clearly said, you shall have no other gods before him. And Daniel says, yeah, I understand that, but the king has ordered me to, to not pray to God and not worship God and instead to bow and down before him. And Daniel's thinking, well, I've got this other idol in my life. I want to be around tomorrow. 
you know, he, and, and so we, ju- we justify this worship of this idol. And that thing is a good thing. The family's a good thing. Our future's a good thing. Our, our security and our comfort. These are all really good things unless we make them idols above God. You know, if I were Daniel, I would probably go, well, God, who's going to take care of my wife? And my wife becomes my idol. Or I could say, well, Paseo del Rey Church, if, if I get eaten by the lions, God, I don't know if you realize it or not, but I'm the pastor of this church. And if I get eaten by lions, Paseo del Rey Church is just going to go down the tubes like this. They're just going to lock the doors, and it's going to be all over. Yeah, I'm that important. You, you, could you hear Daniel going, but God, I'm no good to you if I become lunch meat for a bunch of cats. So God, keep me around here because I want to be useful for you. So I'm going to sin this way so I can remain f- faithful, for, useful for you in the future. And what Daniel did is he went to battle against, against this idol. And the first thing, I'm going to give you an A, B, and C about this prayer the first thing I want to say is that Daniel's prayer is God-exalting and idol-smashing. When Daniel chose to disobey the government authorities, what he was doing was smashing the idol of his own security, his own future, his own safety, and instead worshiping God and God alone. That's what he's doing here when when we come to verse 10. Look at It's when Daniel learned the decree had been published. He could hear the roaring, growling of the lion's stomachs. He knew what was going to come to him if he disobeyed the government authorities. He went to his home in his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And, and you know, sometimes God's called us to share our faith. I just want to make this really practical. God's called us to share our faith with people, to outflow, to share about Jesus with other people. And, and, and sometimes I do battle with this idol of how will I look with this, in this person's eye if I share, eyes if I share the gospel with them. And I've put my own self-image, I've made that an idol and I begin to worship at that throne rather than obey and worship the Lord. I just want to be really practical this way to help you understand this principle. Now, here's something really interesting. In Romans 13, the Apostle Paul teaches us and gives us a command that is incredibly important. That command is, is that we as believers in Jesus Christ are to obey government authorities. Romans 13.1. You can, you can read that a little bit later. It is unequivocally, it's just absolutely clear that we are to obey government authority. So if you're driving down the road at 85 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour zone, that is wrong, right? Because God's told us to obey the government authorities. Now, if the policeman pulls you over and says, hey, why are you driving 85 in a 65? And you say, God told me to do that. That's not right, is it? God hasn't told you to, to drive at, 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 um, uh, at 85 miles an hour. And here's the interesting thing. We are commanded to obey government authorities, and yet we see right here in chapter 6, don't we, Daniel disobeying that command. I know it's a New Testament command, but I think it was a, a command in the Old Testament as well. Daniel is clearly disobeying a, 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 a direct order of 
the, um, uh, of the governing authorities. We saw it in chapter 3, didn't we? When Daniel's three friends were ordered to bow down at the 90-foot high, over three times higher than the peak of the ceiling, Daniel's three friends were ordered to bow down and to worship uh, at, the, at the feet of that, uh, of that idol. And they said, they were ordered that by the king, and they said, no, we won't do it. So here in Daniel, we have two cases where there's clear government authority and people disagree, people disobey. Um, and, and the rest of the Bible, we've got several examples as well. Uh, think in uh, Exodus chapter 1. The Israelites uh, are now the slaves of the Egyptians, and the Israelites are multiplying like mice, right? And the king of Egypt says, wow, there's too many of them. And what's going to happen is there's going to be too many boys, and they're going to raise up an army and rebel. They're going to outnumber the Egyptians, us Egyptians, and they're going to they're take over. We can't have that. So the king of Egypt says to the Hebrew midwives, he says to the Hebrew midwives, when the Hebrew women give, give birth and you look and you see that it's a boy, you kill the boy. We don't want any more boys. We just want girls. Because the girls won't raise up in an army in rebellion against us, more, more likely than not. So what do the Hebrew midwives do? They have a direct command from the governing authority. They disobey that command. They let the boys live. And then they lie. I think they lie to the authorities when the authorities come and said, hey, we told you to kill those little boys when they're, when they're being born. And you're not doing it. And they lie to the authorities. In the New Testament, we have a couple of illustrations. We have the apostles who are commanded in chapter five of chapter four and chapter five of the book of Acts. They're commanded not to preach the gospel. They're arrested. They're thrown into jail. That night in jail, they walk out of the jail right through the doors, and they're out. And the next morning, the authorities find them in the temple court preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And the authorities come and say, "Hey, guys." Didn't you hear? What about the word no do you not understand? We told you not to do this. And so what do the apostles respond? Listen, we have to obey God rather than men. But didn't they know about what Paul was going to write in Romans 13 that we're to obey government authority? So what gives here? How do we know? Because Paul says we're to obey a government authorities. How are we to know when we're when, when we're not to obey uh, government authorities. Well, let me give you a principle. Let me give you a principle. And this principle will not be on the quiz to get into heaven. Um, so there is no quiz to get into heaven, but if there was, this will not be on it. So here's the principle. We must obey human authority. That is absolutely clear in Scripture. So if you're driving 85 miles an hour and uh, the policeman stops you, you know, you're wrong, okay? And you, 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 you should get a ticket. You should get whatever the deal is. So we should obey uh, human authority, government authorities, or any kind of human authorities. But, I've always told you I love the buts of the Bible, but when authorities command us to do what God has explicitly, that's an important word here in my definition or my principle, what God has explicitly commanded us not to do, or when authorities command us not to do something God has clearly commanded us to do. Like, for instance, the apostles were told to preach the gospel there in Jerusalem, and the authorities told them not to do that. 
So when that happens, we must obey God rather than the human authority. So you're driving 85, the policeman stops you, and you go, God told me to drive at this speed. No, he didn't. God has never explicitly told you to drive at 85 miles an hour. I've been stopped by police a couple of times in my life, and I always carry a Bible with me, and I look for a verse. And the officer says, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking for a verse where God commands me to drive this fast. And I usually find one, actually. It's right here in the book of Second Generalities, chapter 8, verse 5. It's right there. Second Generalities 8, verse 5. You'll find that a little later after church. Now, let me make it a little harder. Um, can I marry three women at the same time? No, I can't, because the government says that I can't do that. Well, God told me to do it. No, he didn't. God said one man and one woman until one of them dies, okay? That's what God says. That's God's command. So that I can't marry three women because God's been clear. What if the government said you have to marry three women? I'd shoot myself <laughs> is what I would do, and that'd probably be the best option for the... Okay, cut that one out. Okay. Well, because I got the perfect one. I mean, how could I marry three? There's just there's only one. So uh, what if the government commanded me to marry three women? I would then be violating a clear command of God, right? And I would have to disobey the government authority. How about this one? This is a little bit more difficult. Um, should you stop paying taxes because the government... Uh, uh, permits and pays for, your tax dollars pay for abortions. That's a little more difficult, right? And uh, I'll give you my opinion on this one, is yes, you should pay taxes. If the government commanded you to perform an abortion, you would have to say, I cannot do that. That would violate my conscience. That would violate a clear, explicit command of God. You're asking me to do something that God has explicitly, thou shalt not murder, right? Explicitly commanded me not to do. How about a school teacher? What if a public school teacher at the beginning of the day wanted just to pray a really short prayer at the beginning of the day? So they're in the classroom. The kids are there. Hey, kids, I just want to say a short prayer. Lord, I just pray you would bless our class today and we'd have a great day. Amen. And the administrator comes in uh, from the school and says, our policy does not allow you to do that anymore. So the next day, should you come back in the class? Hey, kids, I want to say a short prayer. Uh, Lord, just, I just pray that you would bless our class. We'd have a safe day today. And happy birthday to Mike as well. Amen. Should you do that? No, you shouldn't do that. Why not? Because God's never given you an explicit command that you have to pray out loud in class, has he? And you should be praying, if you're a teacher, I know you are, you're praying all day long for those kids. And can the government stop you from doing that? Not yet. Not yet. You just keep praying. You, so you just discover a new way to do the saint, to carry out the principle that we're to, we, we're to pray for each other. But you have no explicit command whatsoever to pray out loud in a class. But when we come here to Daniel, Daniel 3 and Daniel chapter 6, they are being commanded to do what God has explicitly commanded them not to do. So this, I think this principle, let's put the principle back on for just a, just a minute if you would. Uh, I'd ask you to take it off, but I want to put it back on. Now, here's, here's an important asterisk. 
is if you, if you believe that God is commanding you to do something, something or if, the, you, if you believe the government's commanding you to do something that God tells you not to do or vice versa, then you should obey God rather than man, and I should too. But you have to be ready to bear the consequences. And you can't complain. You go, that's not fair that they arrest me. Hey, you're playing by their rules. It's fair. That's where we trust God. See, that's what Daniel had to do, wasn't it? I'm going to disobey the government authority so that I can obey God. I won't bow at the... I won't bow at the altar of my own comfort and my own safety, my own future, because I'm going to obey God, and then I'm going to trust God with whatever comes about. And if Daniel gets eaten up by lions, he says, that's better than disobeying God. I would rather please God forever than please the government authorities or the people around me for a short time. So if you choose to disobey, and I think you should disobey God, disobey Let's strike that one. You should disobey government authorities when it commands you to do something God has commanded you not to do. So, hmm. how about our friend in Rowan County, Kentucky, Kim Davis? A young woman who, um, whose name goes on a marriage license, and she believes, like I do, that marriage is between one man and between one woman. That that's what God says. And so, no matter what the Babylonian press says, right, that's what God says. That's what I believe. That marriage is between one man and between one woman. And so, she now has to, her name, it has to be authorized to, for uh, people who are not one man and one, one, one woman to be married, right? So, she said, I I'm going to disobey the government authority because I need to obey God. Now, I, I don't, I'm not going to get into debate. I will not answer any emails on this whatsoever. I just want to let you know, okay? I think, I think Kim Davis was right in what she did. And I think she was right for a, for a lot of reasons. Now, I, I want you to really, I, I know some of you are squirming in your seats and you don't like this. But I want you to think, I know what the Babylonian press tells us. I know what the Babylonian, we live in Babylon. I know what the culture tells us. I get it, right? Don't get your theology from Babylon. Daniel didn't. He brought his theology with him, and he thrived for the Lord in Babylon. But he didn't let the Babylonian theology, and they had a lot of theology, he didn't let it influence him. So get your theology from the Bible. And what the Bible says is anytime the government commands us to do something that God has explicitly told us not to do, we have to disobey the governing authority. And I think what, what, what Kim did there, now you, some of you are going, yeah, but her life is a mess. And yours is not? And mine's not? If you're breathing, you're broken, right? You know, yeah, yeah, there's hard things in her life. I get it. But I want you to, did you notice the way that she didn't call names. She didn't jump up and down on her desk. She, she was willing to bear the consequences, just like Daniel was, not knowing how things had come out. Now, welcome to Rowan County, because you live in Rowan County. If you wear a uniform, if you work for the government, if you work for public schools, if you're a policeman, fireman, 
um, if you're uh, in the military, you will be asked to do things and even commanded to do things that God has told you not to do. It's coming. And I'm not a doomsdayer. You know me. I am not a doomsdayer. But it's here. It's already here. So you need to, you need to start thinking, what idol, am I willing to fall and worship an idol of my own safety? Or are you willing like Daniel was, and am I willing? Because pastors are in the same boat as those of you in uniforms, right? And, we're, and, I, and I, I'm going I'm to be facing these same questions, and our pastoral staff is going to be facing these same, and all of you are going to be facing these same questions. Will I obey God, or will I be, obey the, the authorities in the culture of Babylon? I want to thrive for Jesus in Babylon. I don't want to get my theology from Babylon. I want to thrive for him in this world. So, I will not answer any emails on this topic whatsoever, okay? You have a good discussion about that, if you would. Um, and, 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 and I want you to just notice this. That he went to this window. He went to this window in verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And that's really, that's an interesting little thing here. Now, I want you to realize that Daniel didn't go in front of a sliding glass door so that everybody could see him, like flaunting it. In the east, the, the windows are high and they're small and they're covered by lattice. So he, he, it wasn't like he was going, look here, king, look what I'm doing. He was respectful, he was kind, but he had to obey God. And, and these guys had to go looking for him. They had to go peek in somehow into his bedroom to see him praying. And he wasn't hiding. This is, what, this is what he always did at the end of the verse, just as he had always done. Okay, so that's point A, and I'm going to race through the next couple of points here, so don't, don't worry about We're going to be out of here in about five minutes, done with the message in about five minutes. I want to tell you point B. On, God, on this prayer. It's, his prayer is God-exalting and excruciatingly humbling, this prayer. That little, in verse 10, that little architectural note that his windows open toward Jerusalem, you're going like, what is that about? Why was, he praying, why was he praying through these open windows that face toward Jerusalem? Well, write this down, 1 Kings, 18, 1 Kings 8. 1 Kings 8, don't turn there right now, but 1 Kings 8 is the story of the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem about 400 years earlier. And at that dedication, Solomon, King Solomon, is dedicating the temple, and he has this wonderful prayer, 1 Kings 8, God of reader, this is a great chapter. But he comes to this little section in his prayer where he says this, Solomon's praying, he says, Lord, one of these days... These people who are worshiping you here at this brand new, beautiful temple, one of these days, these people are going to turn against you. They're going to sin. They're going to make choices. They're going to worship idols. They're going to say no to your word and live in their own word. And when that happens, God, I know what you're going to do, as Solomon says. You're going to send these people into exile. 400 years earlier, 1 Kings 8. You're going to send them into exile. And when they're in exile, they're one day going to get it. It's going to take them like 70 years to get it. We are really hard-headed, aren't we? And they're going to finally get it, and they are going to fall on the floor in repentance. Not, not, oh, let's, I'm sorry, let's kiss and make up kind of repentance. That's not repentance. 
They are going to fall on the floor and weep and wail and put sackcloth on and cry, oh, Lord, we are just undone. Would you be merciful to us, Lord? We're just undone. And when they do that, it says in 1 Kings 8, in in King Solomon's prayer, they're going to face a certain direction. Wow. What direction are they going to face? Wherever they are in exile, they're going to face Jerusalem. 1 Kings chapter 8. I told you, you've got to read it this afternoon. They're going to look back at Jerusalem. So whether in the north, they're going to look south. If they're in the south, they're going to look north. If they're in the east, they're going to look west. If they're in the west, they're going to look east. To look to where your temple was, and they're going to plead with you. Lord, we are absolutely undone, broken, broken, screwed up, messed up, fouled up, sinful people. Lord, we are unworthy of your love for us. And they're going to fall in humility. And in Daniel chapter 9, that's exactly the prayer we find Daniel praying. He must say eight times in that prayer, Lord, we are the worst of sinners. Daniel chapter 9. In this same year that the events in this chapter 6 are happening in our book. Daniel's prayer is not this, oh Lord, get me out of this fix and I'll love you forever. His prayer here is a falling on his face in repentance, a falling on his face in humility, an extreme, uh, 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 just pouring his life out before the Lord. It, it is a, this is an amazing prayer that he prays. Now here's, here's point B. Is that his pray, C, his prayer is God um, exalting and trust fueling. His prayer is God exalting and trust fueling. Look at the only thing explicitly that's said about his prayer in verse 10. It's at the end of the verse. He prayed giving thanks to his God. Now, if I were Daniel and I could hear the lion's stomachs roaring, my prayer would be something like this. Get me out of here! Rapture me, Jesus! Bring a super moon tonight and just heal everybody and do it, Lord Jesus. Get me out of here. What's Daniel's prayer? Is there a super moon coming or something? Is the world ending tonight that I didn't know about? Because if it is, payday is Thursday. I'm going to call the office and have them pay me today if that's the case. So if, you, you know, if I don't see you next Sunday, sayonara. You know, see you a little later. You will be here next Sunday. I promise you, okay? The world is not going to end tonight. That was all free, by the way. It wasn't in the notes or anything. Do not believe in supermoons. But watch it. It's going to be awesome. You know, everybody's all excited. Israel is going to turn upside down. You can't even see the supermoon in Israel. Isn't that weird? If it's going to affect them the most, you can't even see it there. That's all free there. We'll just keep going here now. So, so, Dan, so Daniel, Dan, what does he do? He, he thanks God. These lions are like, man, they are roaring. They're thinking, kosher food. They don't get kosher food a whole lot. They're thinking, man, Daniel, he's the guy we want to eat. And Daniel, what is this? The only explicit thing said in this passage, in in verse 10, excuse me, about his prayer is he gives thanks to God. How can this be? Now, Daniel had not read to the end of chapter 6. And maybe some of you haven't. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you don't know how the story ends, cover your ears right now and sing quietly. Let me tell you how the story ends. Daniel gets thrown in the den of lions. And they 
go on a fast. It is awesome. God does this great miracle, and they don't even touch Daniel. But Daniel didn't know that. And sometimes people get eaten by lions. Most of the time people get eaten by lions. Daniel didn't know how the story would end. But instead of whining and griping and pleading with God, I, I just love this, he gave thanks to his God. Now, how in the world did Daniel get to this place in his life? This didn't just start now, did it? You know, it, it, when you face a difficult time in your life, you, you don't just get super courage all of a sudden to pray this brave prayer and give thanks to God, do you? It's because of something that's been happening in Daniel's life. How does verse 10 end? He was giving thanks to his God just as he had done the day before and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. And I think for 85 years of his life, he had been coming into the lion's den and meeting with his God and worshiping his God and getting to know his God. He had his Bible open three times a day. And he prayed to God, and he got to know God, and he discovered that God can always be trusted. Always be trusted. So that when he faced this den of lions, and all of us face dens of lions, don't we? He could say, I know, God, you're trustworthy. And even if I get eaten up, it's going to be good because I'll be with you. Now, my preference would be, but God, I know, I know that I'm going to be good. You see, the real den of lions was not the den down on the ground. It was in the second story floor window. And those lions in the ground had been defeated long ago in that bedroom in which Daniel developed intimacy with his God. So that even facing this horrible situation in his life, his prayer is a prayer of thanks. And God, I'm not going to bow down to anyone else because you and you alone are trustworthy. Would you pray with me? Father, we, um, we so much want to be like Daniel, but we can't do that in our own ability or our own strength. But Lord, we, we just really realized this morning the reason Daniel was thriving in Babylon was because he was first thriving in those quiet times with you. And if we want to thrive in our Babylons, it's going to be because we are growing and meeting with you and hearing you and we're thriving in, in that quiet place, that place away from the crowd and the place away from church and the place away from serving or singing or the place away from um, our, our families is we meet with you and we learn that, God, you are not just sometimes trustworthy, but in all ways, always you are trustworthy. And we trust ourselves to you. And we worship you. We worship you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand, and we're going to worship him, Christ alone, and we're going to ask our ushers to come for receive our gift.